podcast where you're invited to an audio tour of each of the world's 197 sovereign states. My name is Kiki. And my name is Brad. And unlike always, we are not alone as the hosts of this episode. We are joined by Cher. Unfortunately, not that Cher, however, it is our friend share in our um, MBA program. Yeah, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, you guys. Uh, my name is Ardashir Hashimov. Uh, I'm classmates with uh, your hosts, Bradley and Kiki, and I'm from the country that we're going to cover in today's episode. And what, what country, country is that, that Cher? <laughs> Tajikistan! <laughs> anthem of Tajikistan called Surudi Mali. The lyrics are by Gulnazar Keldi and the music is by Suleiman Yudikov. When they left the Soviet Union, they changed the lyrics to the national anthem, but they kept the, the musical tune. And so after that, we're going to get into our um, overall thoughts and initial familiarity ratings. As Kiki is our host, why don't you start us off? I'm going to say a one, uh, because before this episode, I knew that it existed which I will say many people probably don't. Can confirm it exists. You're there. Well, Cher is here. <laughs> um, and uh, I guess like we, we talked before the episode about the 2014 Winter Olympics when there are some tweets after the USA team watches out Tajikistan right after them. And these people are like, is that even a country? So I feel like I got a leg up on those people. I know what the flag looks like. Uh, and, I, and I know Cher. So All right, that's so a, a one. A point for not being totally ignorant. Yes. So I'll give myself a point five. <laughs> For being a little bit... A little bit above, less than totally you know, ignorant. Yes. <laughs> Slightly not as ignorant. So my, yeah, that's my rating. And then just my overall thought is that I'm really excited for our first episode with a guest speaker. Because we get to have some actual insight and... Oh, for sure. Narrative, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to that first-hand criticism. <laughs> that's going to be happening in real time as I'm reading my timeline. Because as you know, we're professional... Um, Enunciators and <laughs> pronunciators um, of difficult words. So. Um, share what is your rating of your familiarity with Tajikistan? Well, I wish I could say 10, but the more I live abroad, the more I realize that I don't know everything about my own country. So I put it at six and a half, seven. Six and a half. That's good. When we were doing the initial step for our America, our America episode, I was like, I'm an 11 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really humble, humble thing to take. But we're going to learn you real good in our timeline. But first, let's let's look at the snapshot. Just Tajikistan at a glance brought to you by Brad. All right, uh, Geeky and Cher, listen up, because this is all about Tajikistan. Snapshot. All right, all right. tell me. So uh, the country is, the official title is the Republic of Tajikistan. The capital and the largest city is Dushanbe. Dushanbe. Yeah. Dushanbe. Uh, and that means Monday in the Tajik language. Do you know that, Cher? Uh, accidentally, I did know that. <laughs> <laughs> he did know that. 
All right, one for one so far. Uh, the official language is Tajik, and then it had listed the inter-ethnic language as Russian, which just seems like a fancy way to say it's just one of the vernaculars people use. Is that correct? Pretty much, yeah. Okie dokie. So we have the ethnic groups of the country. 84.3% are of the Tajik peoples. 13.8% Uzbek. 0.8% Kyrgyz? Kyrgyz. Kyrgyz. 1.1% other. And then... Uh, an anecdote that I, I read about later that wasn't in this official breakdown was that there's also the Yagnobi peoples. Yeah. And they live in, I think, the northwest. Yep. And um, they weren't listed in this breakdown, but there's a lot of discussion in the history and culture about them, so I decided to add them here. Um, the official demonym are people who are from Tajikistan. They're referred to as Tajikistani. The religious breakdown of the country is 96.7% Islam, and that's the Sunni. Yep. Sunni Islam. Correct. 1.6% Christianity, 1.5% unaffiliated. And every country uses a different unaffiliated. That basically means they don't want to... Mm. Yeah, they don't, they don't prescribe. And then 0.2% other religions. Uh, the government is a unitary, dominant party, presidential, constitutional republic. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. That was my name in high school, actually, Kiki. Um, <laughs> the president... <laughs> the president is Imumali Rahman. And the Prime Minister is Kokhir Rasul, Rasul Zoda. Mm-hmm. Okie dokie, got the green light from that one. <laughs> and so the country is divided into four provinces called uh, Viloyats, um, of which their names, I'm going to let share tag, or the four provinces of Tajikistan share. Uh, Sult, Khatlon, uh, Gorno-Badakhshan, and Regional Republic Subordinations, where the capital is situated. God, I love having him here. This already <laughs> paid off. Brad, why don't you tell us how you would have pronounced them before Cher was here? Okay, so um, uh, N-A, 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 and N-A. I'm not going to even try. <laughs> no, um, this is the White Ignorance Podcast. <laughs> You're welcome. So the provinces are divided into districts, and each of those districts into Yamat, Yamat, Yamats, or villages. Uh, sort of, yeah. Okay. Um, so you have the four provinces and the 58 districts into 367 of the of the next rung down. Um, so that's how it's kind of divided up geographically and politically. The area, so the country is 143,100 square kilometers large. It the size has, of the state of Illinois. The state of Illinois? Really? Yeah. Interesting. The population, this is a 2016 estimate, is 8,734,951 people. Just recently surpassed the 9 million mark. Wow, so this estimate is way off. Well, but two years, it's 2019. Yeah. <laughs> Countries grow bad. <clears throat> Time. Time makes fools of us all. <laughs> um, the currency is the Simoni. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's the exchange rate on that, do you know? Oh, the Simone? Oh, well, you got about $5 in your hand. You got about four Simones together. I'm just kidding. I have no idea. <laughs> I was no just uh, throwing a We'll go past it. I could tell. Um, and then the economy, the main part of the GDP I read was mainly remittances from Tajikistani people who live abroad. Mm-hmm. There's also a booming aluminum industry, um, cotton, agriculturally, and then they have lots of dams that create hydropower. Um, and we already heard about the anthem. So after that little snapshot, we're going to let Kiki take us back into antiquity with, you know, all sorts of anecdotes from Cher. So it'll be fun. Let's learn. Okay. So one thing about this region that will be coming in future future episodes um, is one of the first times we run in here is an area that uh, 
has a lot of different histories from overlapping empires in the region. So we're going to go with like the most general one that matched the timelines that I was doing on my research. And we're going to start with the Scythian Empire, and that starts in the 11th century BCE to the 2nd century AD. So the Scythian people, they were named by the Greeks. Um, and it's interesting because what we know about them comes from the Greeks and like oh, and starts in Western histories and mythology. So we don't actually know as much about what the Scythians are like, other than they were a loosely nomadic and increasingly settled people. They're associated with horses, cannibalism, gold, and drugs. Cannibalism. They were party people, for sure. <laughs> um, it ain't a party unless you're eating people. Right? Anyway. <laughs> it's an uh, explicit podcast. <laughs> Don't worry. So the, um, but they basically dominate the region of Central Eurasia that encompasses Central Asia, parts of Eastern Europe, and a vaguely defined Eastern region. So if you look at a map, they had a pretty sprawling region in which there were just these nomadic people. Um, the Greeks knew them. They ran into some controversy with the Greeks. Um, and then we come into the Cambodia people, which were a tribe around of Iron Age India that come into the region from 700 to 300 BCE uh, and the Mahabharata they were according to Mahabharata they were involved in the Kurukshetra war I uh, didn't want to get too much about what this war was about because I really wanted to get on uh, to talk about the so so Yana Bactriumer Chorism. Chorism. Which were the four principal divisions in Central Asia where present-day Tajikistan and the ancestors of the original Tajik people lived. Today, ethnically Tajik people primarily live in Soyana and Bactria. Um, Bactria comes up a lot in this timeline as a very powerful administrative military center. Um, you also may know Bactrian camels are the camels with two humps. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Name for the region. From planet Earth. I definitely, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, yep. Them camel. Uh, and Bactria was the center of many kingdoms, as I have in my notes. It's now in northern Af Afghanistan in the Hindu Kush mountains that incorporate some of modern day Tajikistan. Uh, and Bactria is also closely linked with Zoroastrianism and may be where the religion originated, but it's probable that it started there. The Avesta, which is the holy book of Zoroastrianism, was originally recorded in an old Bactrian dialect. And That's I actually cool. included a whole other note about what Zoroastrianism is, because it's very cool. It has its its place within all of Western civiliz civiliz civilization. Um, uh, it's natively called the Mazdayazna. Uh, it's one of the world's oldest extant religions, which is a monotheistic, having a single creator god, and dualistic cosmology in the concept of good and evil. Hmm. Um, I have a lot more in my notes here, but I was going to bring up mostly the most important thing is that it's very present in Game of Thrones, in the religion yeah. that Melisandre practices, uh, the God of Light, God of Darkness. Well, it's the Lord of Light. Lord of Light. Be careful. I mean, the night is no, dark and full of terrors. You, you got me real good there. Uh, Walk carefully. But anyway, Zoroastrianism um, really sets the scene for all Abrahamic religions, most other religions i would say that we see today there's still a group of people who practice Zoroastrianism. it's not you know extremely popular but it still has a lot of adherents uh, and believers so that's a really cool thing that originated there uh, and then we get into our more history parts 
That's the technical term. Anyway, so the <laughs> Achaemenid period, we mentioned this in our Afghanistan episode back when we were young and inexperienced, but now we know more. Dumb, naive kids. We were just starting out like, hey, what if we started a podcast? <laughs> we throw out the first episode on a very difficult country. <laughs> but we're doing it again, and it's even better this time. So the Achaemenid period, you know, just leave it there. So it was from 550 BC to 329 BC. And Sodiana and Bactria were part of the Persian Empire in this time. So the Achaemenid, it looks, it's heavily Persian and Greek. Um, and both so- Sodiana and Bactria played important <laughs> administrative... No, this is, just don't look at me. Don't look at me when I say it. Held important administrative and military positions. Um, as far as the Persian Empire, the Achaemenids were the first dynasty in the Persian Empire, established by Cyrus the Great in 550 BCE. Um, they antagonized the Greeks, according to Western histories. It makes me sound like they're the bad guys, but they don't, they're only the bad guys if you're reading Greek histories. Antagonized sounds like an understatement. Like they were mean to them. <laughs> you're right. There was a lot of wars that were happening. There was some bloodshed. Um, listeners may be familiar with the ruler Xerxes the First. Um, who was the villain in 300. Which is a, a perfectly historically accurate movie, correct, Kiki? No one could ever take any fault with the histor- history of that movie. Yeah. Especially Gerard Butler's abs. Am I right? <laughs> uh, and he's also the biblical husband of Queen Esther. Oh, that's cool. Um, and ruled during the Greco-Persian Wars. Uh, so actually this comes up a lot in like the Hebrew Bible and um, the first testament of the, of the Christian Bible, which is the same thing. But these, it becomes familiar for people who know their Bible history. Uh, and it should be mentioned that the capital is Babylon, which we all learned in Western Civ, hopefully. Hanging gardens. Hanging gardens there. Um, many tongues. Anyway, the Hellenistic period. Enough about Kiki's high school career. <laughs> we don't need to get into that. Leave it in. <laughs> the Hellenistic period was 329 to 90 B.C., um, Hellenistic, as many of our listeners will know, is means Greek. So that's when the, the Persian Empire was defeated by Alexander the Great, um, who I really wanted to have a auditory cue for, but I feel like we're going to have to come up with it later. How would there even be one? What is his auditory cue? I, that's why I feel like it needs to wait. <laughs> um, and so after uh, the Persian Empire was defeated by A the G, as we'll abbreviate it to, Bactria, Sodia, and Merv were all on their own. <laughs> and then Spidamines, the ruler of Sodiano, gave an especially, I said in my notes, gave an especially powerful fuck you to A the G. Um, and then A the G married Roxana, who was the princess of Bactria. And that was actually his only love wife. Despite speculation that Alexander the Great was gay, honestly, he could have just been bisexual, but he had three wives two of which were political marriages, and one was a love match. I hope to have a love wife one day. <laughs> All these political wives are keeping me down. <laughs> I think that's the dream. I think we can all hope for a love wife. That's actually my Tinder bio. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for a love wife. Let's, cut, love let's wife. cut that Gordian knot together. Uh, um, and the areas um, after Alexander the Great were ruled by Hellenistic successor states, and it was called the Greco-Bactrian Kingdom. I actually have a little bit more about Alexander the Great, uh, because he had a huge influence uh, on present-day Tajikistan. And I just have, like, a, a story that kind of shows his influence there. So when he crossed the river Oxus, also called the Amu Darya, in pursuit of King Darius's pretender, Basis, Basis also murdered Darius. Uh, and then 
That's, I just put acronyms here because I thought it'd be easier to spell it out, but now I'm like, B murdered D. <laughs> yeah, you know that B murdered that D. <laughs> anyway. Damn it, Kiki. Basis, this is an explicit podcast. I'm allowed to say it. Uh, but then Basis was uh, betrayed by his own troops. Then Alexander the Great had his nose and ears cut off before sending him away for trial and worse execution. So it was like in The Princess Bride, and he's like, I'm going to leave your ears. Except he didn't leave his ears. He just cut off the face. So it's not like The Princess Bride at all. Anyway, so after this happens, um, Alexander decides to hang out in Maranda, um, present-day Samarkand, mm-hmm. not to be confused with Xanarkin from Final Fantasy X. <laughs> Uh, and I say he just kind of fucks things up. He starts this fight against Speedaminis. Actually, Speedaminis, I mean, they both kind of started the fight. Um, I wasn't there. I wouldn't know. Yeah, it's all hearsay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then uh, Alexander Great puts up a blockade in Syropolis, executes all military aged men and boys, enslaves women and children, lays siege to the seven towns surrounding the city. Um, then he decides he wants to build a city by the river, and he calls it the Alexandria Eshate, Eshata, <laughs> which is now Khyant, Khujant. Khujant, <laughs> which is presently Tajikistan's second largest city. And then I have my notes, Speed Aminis finally gets him good, landing a first serious defeat of Alexander in over 20 years of Alexander's war career. So this was Tajik's. What? You don't mess with Tajiks. Yeah, you don't fuck around with them, apparently, because, like, oh, but, like, when I was, like, reading this, it was just constant conflict, and Alexander was like, I'm gonna stay here, and they're like, no, leave, and then they just, like, would not give up until they finally, like, got this this dick out. I'm not saying Alexander Great's a dick, I'm just saying he was probably a dick. Anyway. Uh, so then we landed there on the Greco-Bactrian Empire, but this... And when the UAG uh, band together with the Tokarian people, uh, and so, okay, backing up a little bit, the UAG were a nomadic people from the western Chinese province of Gansu, uh, and then they were destroying successor states of the Hellenistic successor, they were destroying the Hellenistic successor states um, in their push west, and they banded together with the Tokarian people to create the Kushan Empire in 30 CE. Um, interestingly, <laughs> The Uji were actually being pushed west because of the building of the Great Wall of China. Interesting thing. So they, they started moving uh, western, and they kind of took down everybody in their path to get to uh, modern Eurasia. The Kushan Empire competed with the Romans, Parthians, and Han Empires. So these were other big players of the time uh, in context. It's 30 BC to 410 CE. So this was a pretty long period. Um, and if you know anything about, like, Roman and Parthian history, which you don't yet, but you will if you keep listening to this podcast. Uh, lots of stuff happening, a lot of development, and a lot of competing for space. Kushan highlights, I said, uh, of this empire was the spread of Buddhism, uh, especially with like Indian influence coming into the area, uh, influence of Hellenistic culture, uh, and trade through the Silk Road. The Sassanid Empire comes next. I say, welcome back to the podcast. You may remember them from our Afghanistan episode. Uh, Cheryl will have more about them to say later. They ruled from 224 BCE to 710. They replaced the Parthians in control, and they had a lot more control over the modern borders of what is now Tajikistan. Rivals with the Romans, and they were founded by Ardashir I, for whom our guest is named, but he actually explained that he could be named for Xerxes because Ardashir is a sixth generation change from the name Xerxes. 
Do you want to explain that really quick, Cher? Yeah. Uh, sure. So we already mentioned on podcast the name Xerxes, who was a Achaemenid king that conflicted with the Greeks a lot. Uh, one of his uh, descendants was Artaxerxes. And it seems like the name Ardashir, the name of the Sasanian king who conquered Tajikistan and who I'm named after, was uh, sort of a natural evolution of the name Artaxerxes over six centuries that separate both the kings. Super cool fact. Anyway, the Sasanians or the Sassanids, both names are acceptable to historians, I'm assuming. Uh, I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, yep. I'm taking a gamble. Um, they're considered the last great Iranian empire before the Muslim conquest, uh, which brings us to the Muslim conquest. Not really. It actually brings us to the Heftalites, um, which ruled in the area from the 440s to 670, based in Bactria. Expanded to Sozia and to northern Afghanistan. You can't keep going to Sozia. <laughs> I definitely can, Brad. I have a quick question for Cher. So, how much of this history was incorporated into like what you learned in schools? Like, did it go back this far? Was it like oh, absolutely. how comprehensive was it? Absolutely, they do go this far because uh, so we studied using Soviet uh, school books and. When Soviet Union came around, which Kiki will talk about a little later, uh, they engaged a nation-building project, and they basically created the nation of Tajikistan, and they needed sort of a historical justification of this nation, for, for this nation to exist yeah. in the first place. Uh, hence, the Soviet government existed in this very extensive research project, unearthing you know, all, this, all this data, all this information, and making sure that it could be tied to present-day Tajikistan. So we definitely did study all that. That's fascinating. Uh, how much of it is actually true is yet to be discovered. The world is a puzzle, and we're just putting it all together. All right, can you lay down some more pieces? Sorry for my interruption. Um, you're not excused, but I guess I'll keep going. Okay, so... So the Hestalites were a tribal confederation of nomadic and settled communities, they took back a lot of territory from the Sassanids, and they were sub subsequently subjugated by a combination force of Sassanid and Gokturk forces. I, I, I can't print it. Gokturk? Sure. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, it's fine. Anyway, when the Sassanid Empire fell, the Turks retained some control of Tajikistan, later losing it Chinese people. Then they got it back. And then they lost it to the Arabs in 710. Uh, so this is when we see a rise in um, Islam come to the area because the Arabs brought it with them. Correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, then we check in modern Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, southern Kyrgyzstan, and southwestern Kazakhstan are called Transoxiana now. Uh, trans means across, and then Oxiana means the river. Oxen? Oxus. Oxus, whatever I said before. <clears throat> so it means across the river. Um, so this is like when I was doing my history it's referred to as this and that's that whole area the Arab Caliphate was from 710 to 867 um, so by 715 the region was annexed by the Caliph and Islam and Arabs ruled through local leadership so if you're going to conquer a country one thing that we're seeing is like the way to do it install some local leadership so that people still have some like faith they're not just thinking that you're putting your own administration and changing the way they rule Give them a little thing to believe in. Keep their own rulers. Just control it by puppet strings. 
Anyway, that's just some 101 on Conquest. It reminds me of the Cote d'Ivoire episode, like the Sudanic empires. Like, they installed those trade kind of uh, outposts, and that's how they got their religion and the political... Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then next we have the Samanid Empire, which is 819 to 999. This was the first indigenous dynasty, dynasty for a while, um, and they had some expansion... Uh, but then it ended. The Karakhanid Turks ended the Samanid dynasty in 999. The Mongol Empire sweeps, causes great devastation, and the Timurid Empire begins in 1370, then moves to India, collapses, and reestablishes known as the Mughals. That's mostly in, in Indian history, but they do have some presence here in Tajikistan. Early modern histories. This is from 1506 to 1868. Uh, we start with Turkic rule, which is from 1506 to 1598. Sorry, there's a lot of dates. I'm just trying to set this timeline. Is there something funny? There's lots of dates in history, Kiki. <laughs> you don't have to qualify that. dating, so... You got me good. <laughs> so the Shaybanids uh, is a Persianized dynasty of Mongol origin. Uh, divide the state into appanages, and there was a short period of prosperity and expansion, but that didn't last too long. Skip forward a couple hundred years, we have Persian and Bukharan rule from 1740 to 1868. In 1740, the Janid Khanate was conquered by Nadir Shah, an Afsharid ruler of Persia. He actually came up in our Afghanistan post. And the Janid Khan Abu al-Faiz retained his throne, becoming Nadir's vassal. After the death of Nadir Shah in 1747, the chief of the Mangit tribe, Muhammad Rahim Fis Azalik overcame his rivals from other tribes, consolidated his rule in the Khanate of Bukhara. His successor, however, ruled in the name of the puppet Khans of the Janid origin, and in 1785, Shah Murad formalized the family's dynastic rule, the Manji dynasty, and the Khanate became the Emirate of Bukhara. Seems kind of like a mess. Seems like a drama. Uh, the, so, next... A uh, major historical period is the Russian vassalage. This goes from 1868 to 1920, but the effects go much farther than that, because after that we'll see Soviet rule. So Russian imperialism <laughs> starts... Anyway, Russian imperialism, I have in my notes, bringeth the conquest of Central Asia, including the territory of Turkestan, Turkestan portion previously controlled by the Emirate of Bukhara and the Khanate of Copeland. Russian expansion was actually prompted by the American Civil War uh, because of the stop in cotton supply. No way. G yeah. Uh, because uh, if you know anything about the American South and, and the do. Civil War, which if you're an American, you might, you do. <laughs> um, so American South was a big producer of cotton in the American Civil War. They had to stop because they were killing each other. Uh, so Russians needed cotton to do their stuff. And they're like, you know what we should do? Make the Tajikistani people grow cotton for us. <laughs> and the neighbors. <laughs> they didn't have too much of a difficult time expanding because they had a huge organized army, um, a lot more power, and an empire behind them. So they could basically march into these lands unintruded uh, and kind of took things over. Eventually, World War One starts happening also. Uh, and then, while that was happening, so... In this time, there was also the Basmashi movement. So, an uprising, it was an uprising against Imperial Russia and Soviet rule after Muslims were drafted for army service in World War I. And this is 
happening concurrently with the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution, which is when Anastasia was killed, and beginning of the Russian Civil War. Oh, that, so that's, oh yeah, now I get it. Thanks for dropping Anastasia. Yeah, I had to like, sorry, I had to like skip sometime, but we'll cover it more in our cultural discussion too, because it was a huge influence on what would become modern day Tajikistan and this Russian thing, but also I was writing this, I was very tired. <laughs> Not an excuse. Anyway, the Bolsheviks carried a general massacre in Coquitlam. Um, Coquitlam? Coquitlam. 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 In Coquitlam. That's where I want to go. Jesus Christ. This is an, this is an explicit <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right. Um, massacre in Coquitlam. In February 1918, that left uh, 25 thousand people dead. Jesus That's Christ. pretty sobering. Uh, and prompting a greater Basmachi Basmachi? Mm-hmm. Uh, outrage and support for this movement. Wait, so Russia invaded Tajikistan before the Bolshevik Revolution. But after yes. the revolution, the Bolsheviks still kept the aggression So up? they invaded far before the Bolshevik Revolution. So they were already in Russian imperialist Russia, was moving down south yep. into Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, all these places. Yep. They weren't holding back. Uh, and then, I mean, shit starts happening in Russia. The Bolsheviks are like, hey, you know what fucking sucks? The imperial family. Let's kill them. I just find it weird that they would, like, continue the aggressions of the Tsar. I don't know. It's just weird. We'll cover that in our Russia episode. Okay, yeah. We'll get into it. There's some there's some stuff there. Um, but anyway, so... Uh, yada da. This Basmashi movement was a decentralized movement. So there was not coming out of, like, one specific place. It wasn't as organized an uprising. Um, and so they had some gains, but more blows than gains. The Red Army did make some concessions, and then the support just kind of died down out of it. And as a consequence of this conflict, and because of Soviet agricultural policy, there was a famine in all of Central Asia. So we think about, like, World War One, fucking Russia, famine, things aren't looking too happy in this region. It's pretty, it's pretty bleak for the time. And then in Soviet rule from 1920 to 1991. So, start looking to see what is more modern-day Tajikistan in the current mo- political borders. 1924, the Tajik Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic was created as part of Uzbekistan. And the national borders were drawn, but a lot of Tajik cities, like Bukhara and Samarkand, were drawn outside of Tajikistan. This was a huge problem because the Tajik people who lived there were pressured to conform to an Uzbek identity, and then people who refused to do that were discriminated against. They shut down a lot of Tajik schools, um, discouraged use of the Tajik language, saying, like, oh, you're Uzbek now. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. So Soviet collectivization of agriculture, I just had, was shitty uh, and <laughs> revived more anti-Soviet feelings. So for those listeners who are unfamiliar, collectivization is like, y'all all going to grow cotton now because we need it. You're not going to use your family farm to grow crops for your family and the things that you need. And it's community-based agriculture where you can grow different things, but you're relying on your neighbors to grow your food so that you can grow something else, so you can grow something else. And yep. it's not the model of agriculture that is a best for people and families in the way that society was already structured. Soviet purges expelled nearly 10,000 people and replaced them with ethnic Russians from 1927 and then again in 1937 to 1938. So basically kicking out ethnic Tajiks and replacing them with Russians. That's the thing that happened. And then we have World War II. 
through the 1980s is our next time period. In World War II, Tajiks were conscripted into the Soviet army in 1939, and around 260,000 Tajik citizens fought Germany, Finland, and Japan. Uh, and the total population, between like 4 and 8% of the total population was killed. That's a lot of people, dang. A very large amount of people. Uh, then Nikita Khrushchev... Um, in 1957 to 1958 focused on the Virgin Lands campaign in Tajikistan especially. This was a campaign to boost agriculture because of the food shortage. So they're basically saying like, well, we've got all this uh, quote-unquote virgin land. We've got to use it for the Soviet Union. In the 1980s, Tajikistan had the lowest household savings rate in the USSR, lowest rate of university graduates, and living standards very low, and they're in very high unemployment. And we also know that these things like crime, disruptive people can't really grow out of that if they're being actively suppressed but then in 1991 uh the soviet union collapsed tajikistan declared independence was among the last in ussr to do so would you like to explain that sure just kidding we can get to that yeah, that's something to be defensive about i don't know why uh, all right <laughs> just take that out edit it out okay with independence came the promotion of the Tajik language, the loss of Russian influence in politics and in government as more Tajiks entered politics and administration. Uh, but then there's a civil war starting in 1994 to 1997. Before that, civil war happened before. 1992 to 1997. Um, I have here Russians and Jews are facing discrimination, so they kind of get the fuck out. Uh, and then more than 100,000 people die, and then 1.2 million are displaced as refugees. So it's a pretty bad civil war. We'll get into more of that when we talk to Cher after the historical timeline. And then our boy, is that a good, our boy in Mamali Rahman? Is he a positive figure? We'll not get really, it. Okay. no. So, um, <laughs> He's not our boy, so yeah. sure. <laughs> not our boy in Mamali E. Rahman? Rahman. Rahman. <laughs> Comes into power in 1994. Still in power, as we learned in our snapshot. And then he reaches a ceasefire agreement in 1997. The elections happened in 1999, although they're probably still corrupt AF, as we might say. Uh, people still have beef with, like, at least they were peaceful. That's what we'll say. Uh, Russians stay on the Afghan border until 2005, uh, and then after 9-11 um, and the rise of the Iraqi Iraq war and war on terrorism with America in the region, in Afghanistan especially, the presence of American, Indian, and French troops in Tajikistan is still they're still there so there was american troops in tajikistan yes there still are yeah like an actual military base why were they there there's no military base per se there's a uh, french terminal in uh, dushanba airport mm -hmm. that american and french troops use as uh, like a, a point where they reload with you know uh, fuel and you know just recharge their troops before they deploy to afghanistan is that you think that's a point of contention for people who live there not really, like no. It. Not a lot of people are aware of uh, hmm. foreign military presence in the country. Okay. But anyway, there's military presence for people who have problems with surrounding countries, I will say. Uh, and then we have to modern Tajikistan. It's 136 nominal GDP, not a very wealthy country. Uh, as we talked about before, main exports, aluminum, cotton, uh, water, dam power, Water dam. That yeah. damn water power. <laughs> that damn there. water power is a great yeast for it. <laughs> no, they started to create a lot of dams. They have access to big rivers and they are the hydroelectric. Damn, that's cool. <laughs> that is cool. Anyway. Oh, you're making fun of me. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Oh. Um, <laughs> but uh, not a huge tourism industry. Largely tourists will be like bikers through the mountains or 
kind of people who are like, I'm going to get to every country. And there's a lot of interesting things in Dushanbe, the, the capital. There's good museums about Tajik history, uh, but doesn't draw. Not a big draw, which makes it special in its own way compared to some other countries. And um, I think that kind of wraps up our timeline because we're going to talk a little bit more about modern Tajikistan after the break. Yep, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back and get a lot of more anecdotes and talk with Cher and hit you with some cultural discussion. <laughs> Welcome back to the Roar as we know it. We're going to kick things back off, as usual, with a trip to Kiki in the flag corner. It's my favorite segment. Uh, so the flag of Tajikistan is red, white, green with a crown in the middle. Actually, Tajik in Persian means crown. So that's why it's there. And they, which some of the colors, um, sorry, some guests are being distracting. Sorry. Um, from... They retain the Iranian influence. The white represents purity, morality, snow, and ice in the mountains, and cotton. The green represents a bountiful generosity of nature, fertile valleys, and religion of Islam. And the uh, red celebrates the former Russian and Soviet eras, as well as victory and the sunrise. That's... Oh, and so, if you're looking at it, red's on top, white's in the middle, green's on the bottom. It's a tricolor. You have something to say, Sheriff? I do not. That was a very good overview. Thank you. Do we know what those stars signify above the crown? Yeah, what do the, what do the stars mean? Sure. That's the, um, what do you call it, constellation of uh, Orion? Orion. Orion. Yeah. Orion in England. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, that's cool. Like Orion's belt, but the rest of him. Sure. <laughs> Let's keep moving. That was the flag coin with Kiki, her favorite subject. <laughs> I'm really good at it. <laughs> So normally our cultural discussion would be me and Kiki going back and forth on things we find interesting, things that the history didn't cover, and you know, modern day kind of like political things in the news. However, with Cher as a resource, we're going to... So we're going to kick things back off to Cher and have him tell his story about his own country. Real Tajik in the house! Uh, I guess... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess some of the things that I would like to highlight um, is the importance of the Soviet period for modern Tajikistan because... Before Soviets came in 1920 uh, to what now is modern Tajikistan, the very concept of, of Tajik, Tajik identity, Tajik culture, Tajik state did not exist. And when the Soviets came to what was formerly a Russian colony, uh, they decided to create this new state that included what um, um, American would know as, as stands, basically. Okay, yeah. Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan. Um, and the re one of the main reasons why it was done is to ensure that Central Asia does not sort of unite and revolt against uh, the Soviet government in Moscow. So the Soviet government needed to ensure that there's enough national division in Central Asia that these countries just don't get together, basically. Hmm. Uh, that's how modern Tajikistan was created. And in tradition, in traditions of typical imperialism, it was done without any regard for local traditions, local ethnic divisions, or anything. That's how Bukhara and Samarkand, ethnically Tajik, historically Tajik cities, ended up in Uzbekistan. That's how Hujant, that uh, has a lot of Uzbek people living there, ended up in Tajikistan. 
so those those border lines were drawn totally arbitrarily, which remains a problem even now, uh, with territorial disputes between you know Tajiks and Kyrgyz, Tajiks and Uzbeks, and so on. Um, but despite this very sinister plans on uh, part of Soviet government, there's a lot Tajiks can thank uh, USSR for. Yeah, yeah, US, <laughs> USA, USA. I thought you were going to jump in. I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to let you It's better. Talk. It's better. <laughs> uh, because, again, basically, uh, the very concept of Tajik identity did not exist until then. And uh, USSR comes in, they start creating. So you said USSR, and I thought you said USA. <laughs> <laughs> no. Leave it in. Leave it in. in. I got to quit this podcast now. <laughs> Bye guys. It's been swell. It's okay. It was a cold move. It was a cold war. But like... <laughs> um, so when USSR created Tajikistan in 1929, they basically needed like a historical justification for the country to exist, and uh, that's when Soviet scientists started engaging in all this historical research to justify existence of Tajikistan. That's basically when. Um, we Tajiks started, you know, learning more about where we come from, whether we have the right to exist, and, and things like that. Um, after Soviet Union collapsed, Tajik government also engaged in nation-building nation project, but sort of for the opposite reasons. They wanted to justify existence of a Tajik state outside the Soviet framework. Hmm. So the, the modern Tajik government started looking for sort of historical justification for Tajikistan before Russians came to, to that part of the world. Um, and that's that's why we have, for example, modern currency that's called Samoni, that Brad mentioned before. It's named after the Samanid Empire oh, wow, that, cool. that Kiki mentioned. Um, the, the main square in Dushanbe uh, has statue of a small Samoni who is the founder of the Samanid dynasty. The Tajik government claims to be the first ethnically Tajik uh, dynasty in uh, on the territory of uh, Central Asia. Uh, so basically, yeah, we have we have all this nation building bullshit going on in Tajikistan currently. <laughs> um, attempts to justify why Tajikistan should exist, basically. So I have two questions for you, Cher. The first question is: You mentioned that before the USSR got involved, there were no disparate, you know, boundaries between the Stan quote unquote countries. There's never been an inter-Stan like war. Like there's right there's never been like real conflict like no because again uh, the actual state divisions did not exist there were definitely some ethnic conflicts uh, but uh, there were some conflicts between the the kingdoms the Bukhara kingdom the Kokan or Kaklan kingdom <laughs> <laughs> but real talk uh, the the actual stands did not exist back then so no. okay the the conflicts that that we have currently in Central Asia are. A child of imperialism okay my second question is like just like nuts and bolts to help the viewers like so when did you move to the united states share like talk about like you from there the share timeline here. yeah give us the share timeline it won't last 30 minutes i promise not i hope when share. you released no, no, it the hit not. believe in 1997 uh, when you were seven years old <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is my third trip to the United States. Uh, after I uh, finished high school, I took part in a State Department exchange program called FLEX that sends uh, high school students from former Soviet Union countries 
on a year-long academic exchange in the United States. What? That's, that's how up? that's how I ended up spending an academic year in high school in Plainwood, Montana, in the middle of nowhere. Um, second time I came here in 2010, where I spent six months working in a restaurant in New York City. It's part of a program called Work and Travel. Again, that's a State Department program intended to bring people from uh, third world countries to the United States to sort of, uh, you know, make them more familiar with uh, with uh, U.S. culture. What kind of restaurant was it? Uh, it was Italian restaurant in Manhattan, a little Italy. Uh, it was, it was you're, a sweet you're, gig. You're fucking me right now. No, I'm serious. <laughs> That's that, that so was, awesome. That was a sweet gig. I worked with uh, <gasps> with guys from Romania, Mexico, uh, you know, Balkans. This is that. like some kitchen confidential. This is this no. Is it was cool. great. It was great. It was a totally uh, Anthony Bourdain type of oh, you know, type type of thing. People coming from different uh, parts of the world talking Spanish. You know, That's yelling great. at each other in the kitchen <laughs> in, in Manhattan. Um, and this is my third time I came here to uh, to get my grad degree. Uh, spent a year in Indiana. Uh, got um, it's a mystery what school we go to. No, this is this is a breadcrumb. This is the breadcrumb. <laughs> Leave it in. I'm gonna mention the state. I'm not gonna mention the school that we go to because uh, there's so many of them here in the state of Indiana yeah there's a lot of schools here <laughs> and you can tell by our overtly Catholic themes and ideologies this is another another Dane podcast <laughs> you know when we finish with a prayer yeah peace with you Cher <laughs> and with your spirit <laughs> that's a Catholic joke uh, so yeah these this are the basics of the shared timeline cool that was after I quit my singing career are you being for real? <laughs> I'm referring to the shared <laughs> joke. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> can't, believe, can't believe Bradley didn't get a joke. Um, before we started recording, you also talked about um, just going to make you relive some trauma. Uh, growing up during the Civil War in Tajikistan, um, and as Americans, like we've never really, like we've been in war for most of our lives, but it's been offshore. It's never been part of our lives. So I guess like that's a super interesting thing that it's a big changer in our experiences as white Americans and then growing up in Central Eurasia. Anyway, that's just what I wanted to say. Um, so <laughs> I was going to say, share. I couldn't say this off the air, but ever since our before school get to know you chat boards, I always hoped I'd be your friend. <laughs> because <laughs> you seem so cool and I was like I was like um because I was at my work and I was well, like well here's some context Kiki was the very first person to no, post no I wasn't I never posted I posted on the roommates one that's what it was I didn't post on the she was the very first one, one and I was like here we go <laughs> here's some people I was pretty desperate for a roommate I wasn't desperate for friends though <laughs> but I remember because I was at work and um, we're actually in the same cohort or however our school divides people um and I was going through the list, and I was like, oh, man, all of these people look like losers, <laughs> except for Cher. <laughs> um, Flatter, thank you. And, but then, actually, it turns out Boobly's in our, sorry, Bradley's in our cohort, too. <laughs> oh, no. Just, just airing all the dirty laundry today. <laughs> Putting it all out there. It's because I've got one and a half glasses of Pinot Grigio. <laughs> um, but I actually got really, really, really close with our cohort, except for not really Cher. Cher didn't really come to any of our events. Yeah, I'm... I'm- I mean, I don't know how much we should be talking about on the podcast. It's but. fine. We can leave it. But I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> well, it's not weird. But I All made right. it weird. So other things. Um, so in preparation for this podcast, I listened to a travel podcast about Tajikistan. So mentioned briefly that the tourism industry isn't very significant in the area. Um, that largely people 
kind of go through for the sake of going through. But there's so many beautiful things to see there. You post on your Facebook all the time, like, pictures of your home and, and the mountain ranges there. Uh, so what is there to see? Uh, there's there's plenty to see. Um, probably the most uh, famous uh, uh, part of Tajikistan that, that people usually come for is the Pamir mountain range, one of the highest uh, mountain ranges in the world. Uh, it's referred to as the roof of the world. Um, it's... It's very high, it's very isolated, it's very difficult to get there. Um, you know, that's why it's it's this sort of, you know, prized uh, destination. But aside from that, aside from that, there's there's fan mountains in Tajikistan, uh, located in the western part of the country that has plenty of uh, glacial lakes that are, you know, very isolated, very difficult to get to. And that's why if you ever get to, you're very fortunate. I probably know maybe three or four people who ever gotten there, including myself. Wow, really? Um, yeah. Um, there are all this, um, you know, museums and artifacts that you can find in northern part of the country that date back to the times of Silk Road and A.D.G. Alexander the Great. <laughs> yeah, uh, A.G. Yes, legitimately things there are several thousand years old that are you know totally unfathomable in countries as young as the United States. Um, I didn't remember, like, there was, like, a bust of Alexander the Great's head in the National Museum in Dushanbe. Yeah, yeah. There's, so like there's a, a lake in mountains of Tajikistan. Legend has it that that's where Alexander the Great lost his favorite horse. Um, the, the the lake itself, Iskanderkul, is named after Alexander the Great. So there's, there's plenty to see in Tajikistan. That's so awesome. Just the phrase, secret lake in the mountains. It just it makes me want to go hike and find stuff. It's awesome. Um, another thing that came up on this podcast too is like hospitality culture is a very big thing. Um, so like being friendly to strangers, like if you go there, people are probably going to be nice to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, but Sherry, you're very unfriendly. So how do you explain that discrepancy? I, I like to say that I'm the most untajik tajik out there. (laughs) (laughs) We just some time in Manhattan. It rubbed off. (laughs) (laughs) Forget about it. You want the spaghetti? (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah i absolutely agree if you ever come to Tajikistan, you know it, if, as soon as, as as soon as people learn that you're a foreigner you're immediately invited to their home uh they will share the last food that they have in their house That's they will awesome. make sure that you have you know the softest bed in the house for yourself um being hospitable being friendly to a guest is definitely a huge part of the local culture there and when you finish your degree at the Indiana University that we go to, so I'm in the, in the university in Indiana because that secret is already open. Uh, do you plan on moving back home and like using it there, or are you going to continue to live your life abroad? Uh, well, if that's... you don't have any plan right now, that's no. cool too. I was just curious because I'm wondering how many people leave for an education because. Uh, we've talked before also that you're not the first Tajik man I know. The other one I met when I was studying abroad in Oldenburg, Germany. Um, but he had lived there for like 10 years. Once he finished his degree, he had no intention of going back. So I was wondering if you have a plan, if you want to go back and use your knowledge there, or if you want to put it elsewhere. I mean, that's 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 a big question that I usually you know discuss with my closest friends. Uh, you know what? We can just erase this. We don't need to talk about it. No, no, no. Uh, what I was going to say is that Ideally, I would like to go back and contribute to the development of my country because there's so much that could be done to improve it. Uh, unfortunately, 
as we sort of touched upon in, uh, in podcasts previously, the current president has been in power since 1992. And it's a very corrupt authoritarian regime that sort of um, hogs all the resources in the country, doesn't let the country to develop democratically. There's no political pluralism. Opposition is suppressed. Um, anyone who can leave is leaving. There's a massive brain drain. So, you know, uh, all the bad things, basically. And ideally, I'd like to go back and change some things, but things are so bad on very fundamental level hmm. that any institutional change, I think, is basically impossible. And the best case scenario in my in my case that I see in my future is helping as many people as possible to sort of leave and get education abroad and you know start their families abroad. Hmm. Cool. So before we go to the next segment, is there anything that you want to wrap up with, Brad? Um, I had some more like random questions yeah, no, that weren't, weren't as deep. Like I did some research about like some cultural stuff, and it says the national food is plov. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what is plov? <laughs> plov is, uh, is probably the foundation of the in in the regional conflict in Central Asia. Oh, snap. Everyone... Oh, look at you, Brad, <laughs> what, all those... What have I done? <laughs> Digging uh, up all those skeletons. <laughs> uh, basically, plov is uh, is the regional food. It's it's rice and beef and carrots and chickpeas. Occasionally, people add some garlic and um, raisins to it. Keep going, Chair. Keep going. Uh, <laughs> it's... Don't stop. <laughs> it's, a, it's a regional staple as far as cuisine comes, but every single country in the region claims to be the, the, the country of origin oh, I see. Yeah. For, that, for that meal. Um, it, it got to the point where the UN, uh, UNESCO, when it declared Plov to be part of sort of the, 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 the legacy of, you know, of mankind or whatever, it on its website it says that it's Uzbek and Tajik meal. It never sort of like singles <laughs> out a single part. Exactly. Because, they punted on the issue. Because yeah. you know, they realize that this is this is a huge point of conflict <laughs> for people in the region. My second cultural question <laughs> was another food one because I is, remember because I was reading about these dumplings that were very popular that had like a yogurt sauce on them and they had like I don't know, some sort of seasoned meat and then leek and some, I don't know. It sounded real good. I'm a vegetarian, but I'm like, I would eat one of them dumplings, probably. <laughs> I, it could be mantu, could be tushbera. So I think mantu sounds right. Yeah, yeah, mantu. Uh, it's this very, you could probably barely fit a single mantu in your palm. It's like this this very big dumplings. Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, we usually cover them with yogurt and you could probably eat only like four or five they're really fulfilling oh, i don't know oh i feel like God. you're underestimating <laughs> <laughs> this is not a visual medium but um another cool cultural thing i read about was so i read that the national sport is gushtigiri 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 yeah. it's like a traditional wrestling yep um but something a little more odd that i read was another kind of traditional sport is called buzkashi mm-hmm. yeah and it's, it's ref- on horses, right? It's on horses. It's referred to, it's like polo, yep. but instead of wearing nice clothes and hitting a croquet ball with a mallet, you transport a 50-pound goat and try to escape people and take it back to the starting circle. Yes. Yeah, that basically, sounds really awesome. It's basically American football using a goat carcass and riding so, horses. So a goat metal. carcass? Yeah, goat carcass. Oh, so it's car- not alive. It's not running. No, no, no. It's, it's a body of a goat, decapitated, and you oh, basically Lord. use it as a, as a bowl. 
and your task is to carry that go carcass to your opponent's end zone. That's so awesome. Uh, it's it's very unsafe. There are plenty of injuries. Uh, the game can last from two hours to a whole you know day. Um, you know because it's on horses because it's you know hard to control because there's so many collusions yeah. there are you know plenty of injuries people die during the game oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh, spectators get stamped stamped upon stampled is a good portmanteau though of being stamped and trampled yeah so, stomped and trampled uh, i personally was like basically three feet away from a horse like oh, literally a second away from being you know tramped on oh, um uh, so yeah, it's it's a very interesting sport. And because we talked about Afghanistan and like being a British ter- territory, um, sorry, but it wasn't a territory, but there was that word protectorate. Protectorate, yes. Um, and like cricket, <laughs> very popular, oh, very different. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't get into cricket. I can't do it. You could get into buskashi though. I think I don't know. <laughs> Horses kind of scare me. They, they freak me out. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I used to um, work at a summer camp. I just don't trust them. <laughs> I actually, when I worked for the U.S. Embassy back in Tajikistan, I uh, administered English teaching assistance program. It's basically American undergraduates coming to Tajikistan, spending a year there teaching English to a local population in rural mm-hmm. American corners. And one of them was uh, somebody who became my friend later on, Hannah Swan. She's from Seattle. She spent a year in Garm in eastern Tajikistan. She was really into horses. She actually got into Buskashi. Oh and participated in several no actual games of Wisconsin. <laughs> uh, another legend that I would love to share uh, is another friend of mine, Janice. She's from California. She spent eight years living in Garm, rural Tajikistan, middle of nowhere. A local legend, learned Tajik, learned to play Buskashi, learned to cook Tajik food, became basically a local doctor and go-to person when there are like, any foreigners coming to cool. the region of Garm. Uh, she just recently left Tajikistan for good, but she was she was huge. She was huge. That's so cool. That's legit. Yeah. I want to go anywhere. I want to become a local legend. Just in general, <laughs> I want to. I go back to Denver. Local legend. <laughs> oh wait, yeah, I that's. Moved, the... I moved to. Speaking of, speaking of Denver, there's the Boulder, Colorado right. connection to Tajikistan. Sure. Yeah. Kiki. Yeah. So oh, we were talking about this before because my sister uh, goes to CU Boulder. That is actually the sister city to Dushanbe, right? Yes, yes. And there is a tea house in Boulder that is built by Tajiks and run by Tajiks. And then there is an internet cafe in Dushanbe. Yep. Run by people in Boulder? Uh, I wish. <laughs> Maybe that not. Would, that would be cool. Uh, but I don't yeah. think people in Boulder would be willing to sacrifice their lifestyle too yeah. much for, yeah. for too long. Although uh, I have Tajik friends who moved to Colorado, and in terms of landscape, Colorado is very similar. To That's what I've heard too. No way. Lots of mountains, yeah. dry, yeah. dry and high. Yeah. Um, very similar. We don't very high. play cricket with dead goat though. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. We're, we're trying to grow the Tajik diaspora there. Too. Well, America's a young country. Keep yeah. Let our culture yeah. develop. Yeah, Let's wait another Let's wait another thousand years and we talk again. <laughs> we don't have that kind of stuff yet. All right. So we're going to take another break and then we'll get back in to our other stuff. Other stuff on yep. the way, folks.
with some final thoughts. Brad, why don't you take it away? What are they, any changes in your comfort ratings? Or so for my, for my initial familiarity rating of a 0. 0.5, you know, struggling to find Tajikistan on a map, you know, thanks to Cher's anecdotes and his personal, like, testimonial, his actual stories of being a Tajikistani person, and then having Kiki's, like, really comprehensive and, you know, knowledgeable history, I'm going to bump myself up to a two. A, a strong two. So that, I think that I think of that two as, like, a perfect fit, foothold to, like, learn more. Yeah. So basically, like, the same as normal. Anyway, my comfort rating is going to go from what it started at, a one of not total ignorance to a four. Quadrupling mine. It's a four hundred percent increase in familiarity. Yeah, that's super familiar. Because now, not only like I feel like I could point it out to a map on to somebody else and give them a good history of it, maybe not a completely comprehensive history, maybe not a, a total cultural look at history, but I could tell them basically from the start to modern day what's been happening. Maybe like to I'll, I could teach it to a sixth grade class. So I think I'll say that. Cher, what about you? Any changes? <laughs> Uh, I'll probably keep it at the the initial initial grade six and a half seven, but uh, reading your guys' notes was definitely a good refresher of what I learned previously. Good. <laughs> All right, this concludes our discussion on Tajikistan. We're gonna take not a quick break because we just took one. Yep, we're gonna jump right into current events. Yeah, why don't you just let me say that we're gonna jump right into current events? You should just say that we're gonna jump into current events right now. Go ahead. We're gonna jump into current events. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so what's happening in the world with you, Bradley? So my world is full of soccer. We just had the semifinal, first semifinal game of the FIFA World Cup. So it's going to end soon? It is going to end soon, Kiki said with a grin on her face. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying people have been ignoring me to watch soccer. I'm just going to say people haven't been paying attention to me in favor of soccer. Fair enough. Um... Yeah, so the World Cup's wrapping up. I've watched every game so far, every minute of every match. And I think it's been a, a wonderful cup in that large teams like Argentina and Brazil and Spain and Portugal have been knocked out of the cup. So you get, you know, like a, like a new team will win the World Cup that has not won it before or played in the final before. We will know that for sure. So, um, yeah, I think it's exciting. And I think that is going to bring some... I don't know. Some new cultural exposure to the world. Um, Kiki? Um, so things I've been reading. I could not find any Tajik authors at the library, so I, I failed in my mission to familiarize myself with uh, countries from the authors that were covering that week. Um, but I did catch up on some pleasure reading. I read um, Conviction, the untold story of the conviction of Jody Arias, who was a murderer from Arizona. It was like a 2008 murder. She killed her boyfriend when he was in the shower in a very brutal way. And she was a nut. So anyway, that I read that book. I read Island Beneath the Sea. It was a novel by Isabel Allende um, about the Haitian Revolution or like what was leading up to the Haitian Slave Revolution um, and a really great narrative of a, of a previously enslaved woman who grows up in Haiti uh, or was then called San Domingo uh, and moves to America. Great story. Lots of other things happening in it. I also read... Uh, we Should All Be Feminist. It was just the novelization of the TED Talk that Chima, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Adichie that she wrote. 
Thanks. <laughs> um, so it's a nice refresher on, on some fun things that I hope we can talk about later. I also read a book that we'll talk about when we get to Scandinavia about the uh, Hygge, which is a Danish word that doesn't have a direct translation into English, but it's like a feeling of coziness and a, feel, a feeling that you feel when you're in your home and doing things that make you feel special and connected to others. So it's the introverts um, anthem. That's what they're actually bringing up in the book. It's very introverty, who he is. And since I've been working on like redecorating my home for the fall semester, my new roommate coming in, I've been like thinking a lot about how I can make my home more hoogish. So that's what I've been doing. I also just started a biography of George Washington um, and the narrator of the audiobook, which Cher gives me shit for. He doesn't think reading audiobooks is the same as reading real books. Maybe it's not. It doesn't matter. But it's uh, the same voice actor or the actor who played Richard Gilmore in Gilmore Girls. Um, so it is, it's nice to have Richard Gilmore reading me a book. Can't comment. I've never seen Gilmore Girls. That's not your fault. It's probably better that way. Um, other things in global news, we were just talking about the Thai soccer team. They're all rescued as of today. Yep. And their, and their coach, which is good. It was kind of something that, I mean, it was very scary. Um, definitely traumatizing for those, those little players, but happy to watch like the world celebrate and their safe return. Yeah. While acknowledging the sacrifice of the Thai Navy SEAL who sacrificed his life to try to save them. Yep. Other things in the world, Supreme Court Justice nominees just released. This is not a political podcast. Um, but, wait, no, you weren't in our law class, were you? <laughs> I wasn't. You was Oh, darn. But, no, uh, yes, I was. You were? First yeah, you were in yeah, that yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things we learned in that class is about, like, starring decisis and, like, the power of president. And every write-up I've read so far about uh, Kavanaugh's, you know, tenure as a judge say he really relies heavily on that precedent. And so I think a lot of the things people are worried about as far as, like, big upheavals in constitutional law and overturning old old things isn't really a thing that he's known for. So, I don't know. The power of precedent has really... He's such a, tra- tra- such a traditionalist and an originalist in terms of the Constitution. I, I think a lot of people's fears are going to become unwarranted. That, okay, he really is just a conservative judge. He's not coming in as the harbinger of political turmoil. Okay. Well. From what I've read. Yeah, that, that's nice to hear that this is not a political podcast then. It's not. That was um, an unbiased. Uh, yeah, it was an unbiased analysis, and I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> hold so that, yeah. Hold that. How about share? Share what's happening yeah, in your share. world. Yeah, you talked about you for the last time. Uh, I guess I wanted to. Not the last time. We're not going to kill share. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. Yes, I wanted to build off your uh, point, Bradley, about the World Cup. So in the spirit of the podcast about educating uh, Western people about the countries that they don't usually visit, uh, I think uh, obviously there's a lot of a lot of negative feeling towards uh, Russia currently because because of some events that happened in 2016, which is yep. totally justified. But I think what the World Cup should help people in the West do is to differentiate between the actions of the Russian government. In Russia as a country, it's a fantastic point. Uh, and I have a lot of a lot of friends from different countries who are in Russia currently for World Cup, who never been to Russia before, who don't know the region as well, uh, who suddenly have their eyes open and understand the difference between a very small group of politicians that have their own goals and large swaths of population that just just want to just want to have normal lives. I saw this photo album online of a Russian fan 
who took a picture with another fan of every other participating country. And it just, I don't know, I feel like... Plus, I, I put on this thing where it's like, it's the pre-match preview of every game, but it's just like, it's like no dialogue, it's just people like going around the cameras, going around the locker rooms, going around the fans and stuff. And just like, seeing normal Russian people, like, when you're so far removed in like the media and stuff, it's like, Putin, Putin, Putin. This is a this is a foreign policy move. Blah blah blah. You never get to see like Russian people living normal lives, and like right. a big event can be a lens into like normal people. Like we're all humans. Like this can be another reminder of that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's the the largest uh, sports website in Russia called Sports.ru. I used mm-hmm. to work for it as a no professional. Way. Yeah, as a professional content provider. Uh, so I still I sort of converse there a lot. Uh, I have a lot of friends who who visit this this website. They're from Russia. And I've been reading all these comments that people post uh, on that website during the World Cup, and this 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 mood of happiness that people are feeling because finally they're being discussed outside of the prism of Putin. Yeah, you know, finally Russia is yeah. a country in itself, and not you know from standpoint of what Putin has done, you know, and. Uh, it's 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 important. You you gotta give people a chance to tell their own stories. Plus, Cherry Chev, that Russian player, is a banger. Just, oh my god! Oh, yes. He hits the best goals in the whole tournament. It's yes. amazing. Oh my god! Oof. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thanks you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks for hanging you on. Very much. <laughs> no, I love sports. I think they're great. Anyway, thank you for very much for tuning into another episode of The World As We Know It. You can catch us next week for our next country, Montenegro. Montenegro. Uh, and in the meantime, you should follow us on our Twitter at The World Podcast. Um, give us a follow. Tell your friends to follow us. You can also find our Facebook page, The World As We Know It Podcast. Uh, you can check out our blog. You may not find a lot there, but it is uh, The World As We Know It Podcast.wordpress.com. We'll update it. And rate and review us. We'll read your reviews on air. Yes, please rate and review us. Uh, we'll read your reviews online if you give us a well, if you give us any review you want. It doesn't have to be a five stars, but we'll rate how hot you are based on it is. Let me just check to see. Um, I I had a, a verbal promise from a friend that they would write one, um, but apparently they haven't. But my mom did say, "Listen to the podcast. You should work on clarifying your voice. You sound very girlish." So that is a review from my mom. Uh, mom, you sound kind of like a, maybe like a four out of ten. Just kidding. My mom's very attractive. I'm not. I'm just salty. I'm not even going to touch any of what we just nope. said. <laughs> just leave it. Um, I will work on dropping my voice. Maybe I'll start talking like this so that people take me more seriously. Anyway, we'll see you next week. And until then, how do you say goodbye in Tajik? <laughs> You caught me off guard. Uh, probably would say Salamat Bushet. Salamat Okay, so next until next week, Salamat Bushet. <laughs>